My name is uh, DJ. I'm going to have a seat. Uh, my name is DJ Iverson. I'm associate pastor here at New Vintage Church. Just want to say thank you for joining us. Um, I didn't really talk about this with the board, but we're going to be launching a capital campaign today. Uh, if you would like to lower the degree of the temperature in here, by uh, we'll do $1,000 for every degree. So if you done $1,000, <laughs> pull it down a degree for every uh, $1,000 in, we'll, we'll get freezing in here. Let's do it. Um, no, it, it, it's been hot outside. I appreciate you guys being here. I know there's a lot of stuff to do in San Diego. And so we appreciate you being here, worshiping together with us. Uh, I hope that you're blessed. I hope that you're encouraged. Uh, today, I hope that the word kind of steps on your toes a little bit and uh, is a little bit uncomfortable today. Uh, speaking of which, <clears throat> I want to start off with one of the most controversial TV clips of all time. Uh, let's go ahead and roll it. Hey, there's Officer Clemens. Hi, Officer Clemens. Come Hello, in. Rogers, how are you? Fine. Won't you sit down? Oh, sure. Just for a moment. It's so warm. I was just uh, putting some water on my feet. Oh, it sure is. Would you like to join me? It looks awfully enjoyable, but... I don't have a towel or anything. Oh, you share mine. Okay, sure. Oh, Come along. Man. I'll put some more water in here. Oh. This is going to turn into a beautiful day. You like bare feet? Well, yeah. As I grew older, I liked it more and more. Uh-huh. Good for you. You're pulling up your pants. I forgot to do that at first. Oh, I don't want them to get wet. Right. Oh, that feels great. Here. <laughs> you know, when you're a policeman, you do an awful lot of walking. And sometimes your feet get tired. Right. That feels better already. Good. Just massage them a little bit. Cool water on a hot day. Hmm. Well, thank you for your refreshments. Oh, I'm glad you like it. <laughs> You're welcome, Officer Clemens. Shall we turn this off? Mm-hmm. Is that enough? Oh, that's fine. Mm -hmm. Well, that was so enjoyable. I'm sorry I couldn't stay longer. Well, I know how busy you are. But sometimes just a minute like this will really make a difference. There, that looks dry. Let me go ahead and pause it right there. I love that phrase. Sometimes a minute like this can make a big difference. In 1969, when that aired, that was a controversial clip. Mr. Rogers, known for being controversial, obviously, um, did this intentionally. Officer Clemens... And Mr. Rogers, a few years before this aired, were legally not allowed to share a pool together. Were legally not allowed to put their feet in the same water. It's part of the history. It's part of history. It's, it's real. It happened. And, and so the law had changed where this was now legal. But the culture hadn't necessarily changed. And so that's why you see about a minute in, 
after a nice shot of Mr. Mr. Rogers even had nice feet. That is great. I love Mr. Rogers. He even had nice feet. He had this nice little shot of his feet, and he just looks up, and he has this little sly grin, a little sly, subversive grin, because he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly what he was doing. Putting his feet in the same pool. Not a tub, not a basin, a pool, as Officer Clemens. Dipping his toes in the same pool, Mr. Rogers knew exactly what he was doing. He was showing love in action. In a time where people were trying to redefine that and figure out what that meant. Mr. Rogers is here over on public access, being subversive for God. And oh man, I love it. We've been in a series in Colossians. We're wrapping up today in Colossians 4. Uh, you guys get a bonus. We are also starting and concluding a series on Philemon today. Uh, so if you've got your Bibles with you, open up to Colossians chapter 4. We'll be there for a little while. Uh, we're also going to be going into the book of Philemon. Uh, if you can't find it, it's okay. It's one page. It's one chapter. It's a real small book. So that series is going to last approximately 10 minutes today. But the two are tied together in a beautiful, beautiful way. Um, so we've been going through Colossians, and we've been talking about this idea that God is above all else. In Colossians 1, we see that God is above all things. In verse 15, and, uh, 15 the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And we talked about this point. Every conversation begins with God. Every, whatever the area of your life you're talking about, whatever uh, argument you have, whatever um, idea you're approaching, whatever philosophy you're trying to adopt, every conversation, every idea begins with who is God. And Paul, while in prison, writing this letter to the church in Colossae, continues in chapter 2. Life is complete in Christ. Verse 9. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. Jesus supersedes to the traditions of the Greeks, and fulfills the laws of the Jews. This is an important point for us today. The church of Colossae was a mix of Greek and Jewish culture. And the Greeks were polytheistic. They had gods for everything. And so when Jesus came into the mix, Paul had to say, this isn't just another god. We're not going to put another statue up. We're taking all the other statues down, and Jesus takes place. Jesus takes reign over all of these. And so we're going to need you to break from that tradition of having a God and worshiping whatever it is that you want and focusing on Jesus. And at the same time, the, the Jews of the church were holding on to the law of the Old Testament and trying to force the Greeks to abide by this law. And, G, and Paul says, listen, Jesus is the fulfillment of that law. 
this tradition doesn't apply, this law has been fulfilled. And Jesus is over all of this. In Colossians 3, Paul gets practical. And he starts talking about what it means to be living in Christ. In verse 12, he says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. You know, all the easy things. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. That's going to come back into play here in a second. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. If we're going to live in Christ, we replace the earthly things in our hearts with things from above. And it's important that we don't just substitute or, or fill in the blanks with. The key word there is replace. See, the kingdom of God is an upside-down kingdom from the one that we live in. The traditions and the laws and the culture and all that. God likes to flip that on its head and say, this is how humanity, my people, my church, of which Jesus is the head, this is how we live. We live upside down. We live backwards. Paul does some cool stuff in chapter 3. He, he replaces old humanity with new humanity. And what he does to, to do that is pretty cool. And Pastor Marcus did a really good job of, of breaking down this passage a couple weeks ago. Paul, Paul has an interesting take here. He goes after the basic Roman household. When he, he, he's narrowing down, he's talked about God overall. He's talked about Jesus as the head of the church. Now he's talking about practical life. And in Colossians 3, he goes after the basic Roman household, which is Greek, Jew, all kinds of different ethnic groups, right, that all kind of meet there in the Mediterranean that were under Roman rule. He goes after the household, and he says, here's a great place to start. If we're going to live for Christ, here's a great place to start. Roman households were typically a strict authoritarian patriarchy, meaning this. Whatever the eldest man said was law. And so the lives and the deaths and the well-being, the decisions of every people, every person in the household was made by the patriarch of the family. And Paul breaks that down. He says, husbands, this is how you're supposed to treat your wives. You lift them up. Wives, this is how you treat your husband. Husbands, this is how you treat your children. Slaves, this is how you treat your masters. Masters, this is how you treat your slaves. And he flips the whole household up on its head and says, instead of an authoritarian patriarchy, the, your household will now be governed by the sacrificial love of Jesus Christ. You lead by sacrifice. You lead by humility. You lead by grace. Not something 
Roman households were known for at the time. So Paul has reshaped the household around Jesus' sacrificial love. And so as we come into Colossians 4 today, we have this tremendous story of love and action. A practical example, it's actually, it, it, t- for, to be honest, I've missed this a long time. I've, I've, read, the, I've read this book several times, and, and this is one of those stories that can kind of go under the radar, but it's a powerful, powerful story. Um, if you know me, you know I love an awkward moment. Uh, if you're friends with me, we've probably had some. Uh, there's some great awkward moments in my life. One of my favorite awkward moments uh, I was on a date one time, and it was going poorly, um, as a lot of my dates did. Um, it was about five miles back to campus. Uh, she had driven. We went to dinner. We didn't know each other. We went to dinner in a movie, which is the worst idea for a first date. If you're single, if you're dating, dinner in a movie is awful. Uh, we didn't really talk much over dinner, and then... For two and a half hours, we just sat there in a theater not talking. And so at the end of the day, it's like, I don't know you any better than I did three hours ago. And I'm out 40, 50 bucks. Not ideal. And uh, in between the mall where the movie theater was and our campus, this is back in college, there is nothing. See, in o- I went to college in Oklahoma. In Oklahoma, they have what's called land. I don't know if you've seen that before. Uh, It's just empty space with no buildings. It's amazing. Uh, It's called land, and it's just open. And we're out in the middle of it, driving back to campus, and she stops at an intersection, and she goes, so what are we going to name our kids? (laughs) I was like, now, I don't get speechless very often. I'm speechless. It immediately turns awkward. And I was like, um, well, and I'm not pondering names at this point. I'm pondering how far it is back to campus because I'm about to walk. <laughs> and I said, you know, that might be a little further along in conversation than where we're at right now. And she broke down. Just broke down, started crying. And not like, I'm kind of sad, like broke down, we're not moving anytime soon kind of crying. And she's from Wyoming, so I know there's a gun in the car. I'm afraid for my safety. I'm in the middle of nowhere. And things just got really, really awkward. And so I was like, you know, you go to survival mode at this point. Um, Like, let's just make it back to campus. And so a few minutes, I talk her down for a few minutes. I said, look, I'm sure you're a really great person. I don't know you. You seem nice. We haven't had much chance to talk. Um... We're probably not going to get to a point where we're talking about kids' names at this point. So let's just get back to campus, and, um, and, and maybe we can chat some other time, and we'll just calm down. So 
did not know that Subaru Outbacks can do triple digits, but we did. Uh, we got back to campus quickly. She parked on the girls' dorm side of campus, which is about a mile away from my side of campus, which was totally fine because I made it back and got to my room, told my friends what happened, and they said, what? Awkward moment. Real awkward moment the next day in chapel when she was sitting right next to my friend. Just awkward moments. Now, here's the thing. We've all had these awkward moments. This is kind of a fun one. There's other awkward moments we have, right? There's other times where we know there's an interaction coming up, or we're in the middle of an interaction that we don't want to be a part of. I would love to avoid this situation. And, and, and here, we have the setting for this. If you want drama, if you're a daytime drama person, if you're a reality show person that likes reality drama, have we got a scenario for you. Uh, Colossians 4. Let's uh, set the table a little bit. Uh, we've got some cool uh, Greek names here. Uh, I want you to say them with me. Uh, the first one is Tychicus. Tychicus. Uh, Tychicus is entrusted with, uh, he's a friend of Paul. Paul is in prison in Rome, and he is sending this letter to the church in Colossae. And so Tychicus is who Paul has trusted to get this letter to the church of Colossae, and we'll find out has another important role. Uh, second, we have Onesimus. Everybody say Onesimus. Let's say it one more time because he's important. Onesimus. Onesimus, awesome. Onesimus is a former slave who is traveling with Tychicus. Philemon is a member of the church of Colossae. So those are our three characters. Let's go ahead and open up to Colossians chapter 4, uh, verse 7. This is Paul in the intro of his letter. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. Now there's an important detail that gets lost in the translation from the original language to English. Let's go ahead and get to the next slide. Onesimus is a runaway, former slave. And there's a big difference there. Because under Roman law, Onesimus is a walking dead man. If you're a runaway slave and you were marked a slave, if you're a runaway slave and you were caught or turned in, Anywhere in the Roman Empire, the punishment was death. So I want you to think about this here real quick. Tychicus, say Tychicus with me. Tychicus is trusted by Paul to go all the way 
who travel all the way to the Church of Colossae with someone who, if they get caught, is going to be killed. Which also means he trusts Tychicus not to turn him in. And I want you to think about that journey if you're Onesimus, right? How well do you sleep at night? I hope you know this guy really well, right? Hey, we're going to ask you two to travel together. Um, is he cool? I want you to think about what it takes for Onesimus, a former slave, to travel through the Roman Empire. Let's pick up. That concludes our uh, series on Colossians. Let's start our series on Philemon. Let's go to Philemon, uh, the only chapter is one. So let's go to verse eight. Paul is writing to Philemon, a member of the church of Colossae. Therefore, although in Christ I could be bold and order you to do what you ought to do, Yet I prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is none other than Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner of Christ Jesus, that I appeal to you for my son Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and to me. First thing I want to point out here, If you didn't pick up on the language, Philemon is the former owner of Onesimus. So you have the former slave traveling back to the church where his former master is. And you thought you didn't want to see somebody at church today. Woo, man. You thought there was drama on the way to church Church of Colossae may have you beat. That's an awkward meeting. What I love about this passage, though, where in 8, 9, uh, in 8 through 11, what Paul does here, though, is, is beautiful. He gives an appeal over an order. He says, I'm not going to command you to do anything, Philemon. I'm going to appeal to you. Because, as the scripture says, um, well, well, actually, we'll get to that in a second. Um, he gives an appeal over an order uh, because Paul values love over the law. Paul values love over the traditions. And so, Paul says this is an appeal In verse 12, Philemon, verse, chapter 1, verse 12, Paul writes, I am sending him who is my very heart back to you. I would have liked to keep him with me so that he could take your place in helping me while I am in chains for the gospel. Meaning, I would love for this guy to take over my ministry. But I did not want to do anything without your consent so that any favor you would do would not seem forced 
but would be voluntary. Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Paul, at this point in life, is regarded with such, high th- such authority and such respect that he could have said, I command you to take this man back as your brother. Free him. Treat him as one of your own. But he doesn't do that. And he says why. He gives Philemon a choice so that the heart may be revealed. He gives Philemon the choice. He says, I'm going to ask you to do this. I'm going to appeal to your Christ-like humanity. But I'm not going to tell you to because we want the response to be authentic. We want it to come from you. If you're a parent, you know, I may have said this once or twice this week uh, with two little boys and one cabin for a few days. I don't just want you to say you're sorry. I want you to be sorry. Right? Does that ring a bell with anybody? Anybody else hear that growing up or is that just me? Like, yeah. I want you to feel this way. Paul goes on to Philemon. So if you consider me a partner, welcome him as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. He's willing to pay for his debts. Does this sound familiar? This echoes somebody we've talked about before, right? If he has done you any wrong or owes you anything, charge it to me. I, Paul, am writing this with my own hand, which is important. I will pay it back, not to mention that, that you owe me. So Philemon actually owes Paul, but Paul is saying, listen, I will pay whatever Onesimus' debt is. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you and the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you, knowing that you will do even more than I ask. We see in this passage, a burden is lifted despite there being a debt owed. And Philemon is trusted to go above and beyond when given the opportunity. What I love about this is, um, you know, we've titled the the sermon, Love is uh, Love into Action, or Love into Action. What I what I most like about this passage is it's at the end of this book where we, we've talked about a big God. We've talked about what it means for Christ to be the head of the church and the example. And, and Paul has given kind of a specific example, right? Something that everybody can relate to here, kind of what that means. And now he's giving the opportunity to put all of this into action. Does that make sense? And not just 
a chance to put it into action. I mean, this is a pretty deep moment. You can imagine the guys traveling together, stressing about what's going to happen. I would imagine Onesimus' prayer life is pretty solid at this point. I would imagine even Tychicus at this point is, is kind of afraid. What happens if I deliver this man that Paul loves and they don't accept him? What I love about this scenario is it's a time where we put love as an ideology into action. It's a God-defined love. It's a love that Jesus set the example and gave that definition. And it's the same love that's given to us as an appeal today. We're appealed to have the same love today as was called upon by Paul to Philemon. So the question becomes then, who is your Onesimus? Who is your Onesimus? We all have them. If you're doing this, elbowing somebody right now, we can see you. Who's your Onesimus? We can talk about love and God's love. We can read about the example that Jesus set. We can talk about what it means in the lives of others. But what about when it comes time for us? put into action. Who is your Onesimus? This story really bugs a lot of um, Western readers because it ends there in the Bible. The Bible doesn't give a definitive answer of what happens next. I don't know about you, but when there's a movie, I'm really into it, and it says to be continued, I kind of get frustrated. I want to know right now what happened. It's inception. Did the tops keep spinning? I want to know. You guys want to know? Well, there's a, it doesn't say definitively in the Bible, but here's a couple clues. Philemon is a man of character that Paul trusted to do the right thing. And so if we say Paul trusted this man to do the right thing, there's a good chance that he did the right thing. And more, like Paul asked. The fact that there is a book of the Bible called Philemon means that Philemon held on to this letter and knew its value. Now, a really cool part um, coming from outside of, 
uh, biblical canon. In Greek history, there's record of a pastor in Ephesus named Onesimus, who was a former slave. So at some point, a guy named Onesimus, a former slave, was raised up and brought up to be a pastor of a church. I don't know who you need to dip your toes in the pool with today. I don't know whose feet are hurting, who you need to share a, a cool hose with. I don't know who your Onesimus is today. My prayer is, as we take this turn towards communion, the next week we could break bread together. What if you and Onesimus could break bread together next week under the banner of God? What if you and Onesimus could put aside the differences and flip traditions and culture on its head, forget about the law for a minute, and break bread together and celebrate the Christ? God gave a son for all of us, Paul, Tychicus, Onesimus, Philemon, all of us. Jesus set an example of what lived like Love looks like an action. Paul challenges us um, to reshape our culture and our homes and our lives and reorient around who Jesus is. And then he gives us a challenge like this. He drops a story like this. It says, who's your Onesimus? My encouragement today, my prayer today, is that we could all put our feet in the pool together with someone we need to. And then next week, we start a new series that we can break bread together then. Maybe the week after. Or maybe in a couple months. Sometimes it takes a long time to get to Colossae, and that's fine. But let's keep working towards that. God, we thank you. We thank you for your son. We thank you for your perfect love being embodied in him. We thank you for the way that that shapes every aspect of our life. And God, we're thankful for Tychicus being willing to travel with a brother and protect him and deliver him into an unknown. We're thankful for Onesimus and his ability to um, humble himself and walk into what had to be a scary situation. And Lord, as far as we know, God, we're thankful for Philemon and removing the debt when he was a debtor and showing the love that he was shown, Lord, and going that extra mile. In your son's holy name we pray.